yours now. I want to give you some advice. As it gets warmer and warmer outside, it's going to get colder and colder in this room. So if you're a person that burns hot, you're going to love it. But if you're a person that uh, gets a little chilly, you might want to start getting the habit of bringing a sweater because it will get cool in here with the air conditioning. So just FYI, because uh, it does get cool in here in the summer. I'm excited um, that we're sending this team to Haiti. I'm excited personally because one of my own children is going to go. I'm excited about what God is going to do through the team and in the lives of, of the Haiti team members. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to see God do something amazing in your life? Something you couldn't do yourself. I hope so. And, but sometimes when we, we think about what we got, want God to do in our lives, we're looking perhaps for the miraculous, right? For fire to fall from heaven somehow. For someone to be miraculously healed. Or for funds to come from some miraculous location that we never thought of to pay for some debt or God to break the laws of physics even to protect his people and do something and and true enough in history God has done that and he continues to do that he continues to answer prayer but you know what the most amazing thing that God does is in the heart of men and women when he draws them to himself to put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he brings into them a whole new life and changes them. He starts to make them like his son. It's a process theologians called sanctification. But it's being set apart for his purposes and his use. That's the most amazing thing that God does, I think, changes our heart, our character, our faith. Today we're going to look at the second installment of what I call the Sermon on the Plain. And if you have your Bibles, you might want to open them up to Luke chapter 6. And this is a bombshell sermon. I mean, Jesus drops a bomb on what are the ethics of the kingdom that he brings. Totally different than this world. And what we're going to see is Jesus is going to reveal to a crowd of his disciples, his followers, about what that kingdom looks like. What God's standard really is. And since that standard is God himself, you can imagine the bar is set pretty high. Today's installment is no different. And we're going to see conforming to this standard of this kingdom is going to take a lot more than just human effort. So if you want to read with me, please look at Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through verse 38. This is Jesus talking to those who are following him or thinking about following him. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. 
Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the, the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting getting anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will, be not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into this challenging passage. So Lord Jesus, these are your words, and you meant them. But only you can bring about the change that you put forth before us. So open the eyes of our heart, Lord. Help us to receive them. Help us to see the life that is in them. And help us to respond to them and to you as you would have us do today. Lord Jesus, it's in your precious name I pray these things. Amen. So let's start with acknowledging the elephant in the room, okay? These words are not only difficult, they are impossible to carry out in your own human strength. Our inability to fully obey could be discouraging as we look at them. But remember, we're talking about what God wants to do. So we're going to get there here in a moment. But what Jesus is addressing is what I call an uncommon or a different kind of love, different than what our world does. Different than how our world loves. That's where we're going to start today, with a, what I call a definition of love. And the word that Jesus uses here, just starting here in verse uh, 27, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. That word is the word agape. Okay? Here's the significance of that word. For the primary words of love that are used in Greek literature, and they are eros, talking about passionate or sensual, sexual desired love, or philia, which is where we get the word Philadelphia, which is brotherly love, or an unusual desire for cheesesteak. Thank you very much. I'll be here all week. This word agape is the least 
the least defined Greek word for love in Greek literature until Christ comes along, until the New Testament is written, and then it is infused with new meaning, meaning that is literally out of this world. It is God's unmerited, unconditional, unfailing love. That's what that word means. That's the word that is used here in this passage. And at this point in this gospel, we're six chapters in here, it's only been used one, one time before. It's where Jesus is being baptized and the Spirit comes down and a voice is heard and the voice says, you are my beloved Son and who I am well pleased. So now we get here to the second time it's used in this gospel and it's Jesus instructing his disciples about love and what it looks like. And who gets to be the recipient of these lo this love? Where does he start? With our enemies. Your enemies. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other cheek also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks. If anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. You see in there an expression of love. Love your enemies. Doing, do good to those. What you say, bless those who curse you. In your prayer life, pray for those who mistreat you. That's a pretty challenging list, isn't it? And folks, I'm not going to try and explain it away. I'm not going to let you off the hook. I'm not going to let me off the hook because Jesus meant it. He really did mean it. It's very plain. It's challenging. But Jesus meant it. Now, that doesn't mean you can't protect your life. Earlier in, in this gospel, you know, Jesus goes to his hometown and they're upset about what he, what he says. And so he, they're about ready to throw him off a cliff. He walks right through, the, through the, the crowd to protect his life. But the ethics of love that Jesus illustrates shows that it is not a natural response. It is foreign to us as trying to breathe by drinking water. And as you look at this list of haters and herders, perpetrators and abusers, there's no one on this list that merits love. None of them merit love. Some of them merit a good whooping or going to jail. But in the first century, as is today, there's all sorts of abuse. This is not a natural reaction. It's the opposite. But Jesus commands something different. And the fact that these individuals are on this list shows what the high standard of God's love is. In fact, God says, to love is to keep my standard, is to keep my law. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 13.10, love does no harm to its neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Sometimes our enemy could be our neighbor or our own 
family member. But to love your neighbor is to keep God's law or to keep his standard. And we get to verse 31. He says, do to others as you would have them do to you. Our world commonly calls this the golden rule, right? It's not unique to Christianity. It's true in other religions. Judaism itself. Leviticus 19, uh, 18 talks about this. But it's usually expressed in negative form. Don't do harm to your neighbor, but love him or love her. Don't do harm. This one is expressed again in the positive. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And let's face it. Again, loving can be hard. Even those who we have an affection for, who are easier to love, who we care for. And we tend to be selective in who gets the benefit of our sacrificial love. We're looking to spend it on usually those who will reciprocate it to us. But Jesus calls for love in contrast. Look at verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. There's nothing unusual about loving those who love you, repaying those who repay you, being kind to those who are kind to you. In fact, in fact, it's kind of a backhanded way to kind of control people. In the first century, wealthy people would show kindness, give gifts, do favors, lend money to, to others and so that they would be indebted to them. It's kind of a way of controlling them. Hey, I did you a favor. Now I need you to do me a favor. I took care of you. Now I need to take you for you to take care of something for me. Right? I loaned you this money. I loaned you this thing. Now you owe me. It's kind of Godfather-esque, isn't it? I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. It's quid pro quo. I'm going to... I've scratched your back, now you don't need to scratch my back. Now let me say this. Uh, you know, I can't answer all the questions that this passage digs up. I will say this. Sometimes, sometimes the loving thing to do for someone is to withhold from them what they're asking for, right? If you know that the person asking you for money, you know they're going to go out and spend it on something that's going to abuse themselves, the best thing you can do is to withhold that. But let me ask you this person. Are you the kind of person that loves kind of always expecting something in return? Are you the kind of person that uses kindness, even generosity, as a tool to ingratiate and manipulate others to control them? You know, this is a sad thing that happens in marriage sometimes, right? Adult parents will give their kids money saying, no, just make sure you bring the grandkids over on the holidays, right? It's, hey, it's funny, but it's true. 
Be careful. Does your love, does your kindness come with strings attached? Jesus called to love differently in a world that had a, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And so Jesus talks what I call next about love inherited. Pick it up at verse 35. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. Because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Who loves like that? Who loves like that? God loves like that. God loves like that. And that's the point. I'll tell you what. On one hand, I am scared of this. I don't know if I could love like that. But on the other hand, I say, I want to love like this. I want to love like this. I want to be like God and not be held bound by the perception of others hurting me or wounding me. I want to love and be like my Heavenly Father who is kind to the ungrateful and wicked and merciful. That's what He is like. That's what He's asking us to be like. And first of all, remembering that He is merciful to us. You see, we ourselves were offenders. We were ourselves were God enemies. We ourselves were divert deserving punishment, but God shows His extravagant love toward us in the cross. Again, let me, let me steal from the Apostle Paul here. Chapter 5, verse 6 through, 10, 6 through 10. You see, just at the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? You see, we know what it's like to be forgiven and released of our debt of sin. And we have the opportunity to extend that to a watching world who is wondering what difference does it make to follow Christ? What difference does it make to be a, a Christ follower? You see, when we are our Jesus people, when we're following Him, walking with Him in faith, when we are children of the Most High, like our Daddy, we are not only given salvation, redemption, and adoption, but we have an opportunity to be instruments of that salvation, redemption, and adoption. 
the world gets to see what our Heavenly Father is like. He's using us to draw people to Himself. God really has given us the, re- the ministry of reconciliation. As He talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, they get to see it in us to be like our Heavenly Father. And I'll tell you what else this does. It does two things. It keeps us from becoming like our enemies, right? Because when I'm hurt, offended, or injured, what do I want to do naturally? I want to get back. And can my my vengeance be perfectly weighted? Because usually when we get back, we want to get back and more, right? You punch me, I'm going to punch you twice. Make sure that's never going to happen again. And number two, again, it's an opportunity for our enemies to be set free. To be set free from our bitterness. Realize what happens. Realize what happens with God and His mercy. He is the offended party, and yet He is the one who reaches out to us, the offenders. That's what this world gets to see when we love like this. If we are offended, rather than expecting us to, or, you know, they're expecting us to try and get back. But when they receive love, that's totally different, isn't it? Totally different. As the Apostle Paul will actually quote these words at the end of his chapter 12 in, in Romans. He says, in doing so, you keep burning coals on their head. You see, when our enemies see that we love them, they're going to have one of two responses. They're going to respond and say, man, there's something different about this. I need to check it out. Or they're going to take it in stride, and then they're going to have to deal with God's justice. But they've got to, they've got to, they've got to deal with it. They're called to attention with that. And I want to say one more thing. and This is kind of off the cuff. But I'm sure many of you are aware of what happened in Texas this last Friday. A young man who was angry, angry at the world, went and shot up a bunch of his classmates. He excluded some because he liked them. And as I read about this young man, I hear he's an atheist. Okay? Two things I want to say about this. He was angry. What if he had experienced the love of Christ at the hand of somebody who was a Christ follower? Would that made a difference in what he did? I don't know. But I think it could have. Number two, he's an atheist. He doesn't think he's got to account for his actions. He's going to have to account for his actions before justice and before God one day. Folks, we need to be praying for that young man. We need to be angry with him. But he needs Jesus. He needs Jesus. 
That is the power of love. Love that is stronger than hate, folks. That's what we're armed with. That's the message that we're armed with. The last area I want to talk about today is love rewarded. Verse 35, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great. Kicking over to verse 37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give. It will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You see, there's a great reward for those who will be willing to love this way. And the command to not judge, not condemn, are not commands to abandon moral judgment or discernment. Rather, it is to remove yourself from being judge and jury and executioner over those we perceive that have wronged us. To leave judgment to God's perfect justice and equity. And to give. To give away the right to judge. Give away the right to condemn. To give forgiveness. And folks, I know forgiveness sometimes is a process. This doesn't happen like that sometimes for those who have deeply hurt us. But to give forgiveness as much as we can. And to be rich in mercy. And mercy is to not give another what they deserve. And to do this puts yourself in a place to receive reward and mercy yourself in an overflowing manner. Look again at verse 38. Give, it will be given to you a good measure. pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It will be poured into your lap, for the measure you use will be measured to you. Some people use this text as a reason to get people to give, a financial context. Yeah, give more to God and He'll give more to you. That might be true, but it's not in this context. The promise, again, is receiving mercy and reward for being merciful and giving that mercy. Giving that mercy to others. The illustration is a, is a grain illustration. Someone taking like your, a shawl and just filling it full of, of grain, just pouring it over. You shake it to get, and push it down even more. And then it's poured more and it's just flow overflowing. That is the reward. That is what we're talking about, the grace. That's the vision that Jesus is painting here. That's what he's painting. But there's a good, there's a statement also. For the measure you use will be measured to you. Which the measure we use will be measured to us. Here's a good question for self-reflection. 
if the mercy that we receive is connected to the mercy you extend to others, what would you receive? I can't answer that for you. Only you and the Lord can answer that for yourself. But if the mercy you receive is contingent upon the mercy that you extend to others, what will you receive? So folks, again, I don't want to be cavalier about this passage. This is tough stuff. This is tough stuff that Jesus is calling us to. And let me say this. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you're off the hook today. You're off the hook. You have to decide what you're going to do with Jesus, first of all. Because He's given His Son for you. What are you going to do with that? And then you have to decide whether you're going to follow Him or not. But as I see this, there there are two responses we can have to this passage. One is to look at it and just go, there's no way. Yeah, I get it, but there's no way. It's too hard, it's too difficult, or I've been hurt too much. I'm going to fail, I'm going to crash and burn. I don't want to be a hypocrite. So I'm not even going to try. And we look at this and we just end up being surly and discouraged and just kind of answering Jesus back, yeah, right. Okay, whatever. We could respond that way. Or we could respond this way. We can humbly confess, Lord Jesus, I can't do this. It is impossible for me to do this. I'm going to fail. I can't do it on my own strength. But you can do it in me and through me. Because when I put my faith in you, I was born again. You gave me a new nature. You put your Holy Spirit in me. I am a new creation. And say, you can do this in me and through me. The Christ in me. Through your Holy Spirit. And will we fail along the way? Probably so. Probably so. I took vengeance on my children this morning. They took the blow dryer down downstairs. It's supposed to be upstairs. <laughs> so I turned it on down there, next to their bedrooms, to remind them that this needs to go upstairs. The, right, the anger of men does not work with the righteousness of God, people. We need the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us. But here's the deal, folks. It's better to stumble forward attempting to do what God wants to do in us and through us, and He will, than to know the truth but to say, I'm I'm not even going to try because I'm going to fail. No, we have a world that desperately needs the love of Christ, and they need to see it in us and through us. And you are going to fail, 
along the way. It's going to be true. It's going to be true. But you're also going to grow. Grow in your ability to let God love others through you, even your enemies. And that's amazing. That is amazing. And you start to see, God, I never could have loved this person. I don't know if you know who John M. Perkins is. If you don't, Google him sometime. But he was a civil rights Christian in Jim Crow South, Mississippi. And John is a follower of Jesus. And he was arrested and abused in prison. In fact, someone took a fork and put it in his nostrils, turn, turned it around and said, it's terrible. it was a terrible story. But then while he was in the hospital recovering from the beating he got, some of his African-American brothers and sisters came around him because they're wondering what to do. He says, what are you going to do about this now, John? What do you think God is doing now? And John said, I think God is trying to teach me to love white people. You see, we have a Savior who gave up Himself for us. And we're called to follow Him in giving up ourselves. And He'll use that. He'll use that to draw men and women to himself. John's men, written many books. But years later, some of those same enemies of his are now, are now brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. You want to see God at work in you? Then trust him. To let him love through you. Again, I'm going to tell you, you're going to stumble along the way. He's going to grow you in that. And you're going to love better and better, more and more. Maybe never perfectly. But a watching world is going to sit up and take notice. And you and me. And all who choose to try and seek to follow him in faith, because it will be in faith, will be sons and daughters of the Most High God. That's the hope of this passage. He can use us for that. And our reward will be great. Let me pray, and then Brian, will you and the worship team come and close us here? So again, Lord Jesus, this passage is super challenging. And it can only be accomplished by you doing the work in us, by us putting our faith in you. And it will be the hand of God. But even more so, Lord Jesus, for you to get the glory. So would you this week give us the grace to step out and say, Lord, would you help me to love somebody this week, even an enemy, to do good for him or her, 
to bless and to be praying for that person. Use me to do your amazing grace work in him or her. Lord, again, we confess we cannot do this without you. But we know that you want to do this innocent through us. Something that is amazing. Something that is awesome. Because only you could do it. And we ask that you would. And we ask this in your marvelous name, Lord Jesus, as we take your teaching and your word to heart today. Amen. And amen.